Hello and welcome back to Nevermind the Keywords. I'm your host, Megan, and alongside me is my co-host, Charlie. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Excited nice. for another exciting pod. Yeah. Um, today, we are going to be chatting uh, to Abby Bryant-Spola, who is a customer success leader at Nota Bene, a company aiming to minimize the complexities of global crypto regulations. Um, it's We're not just going to be touching on crypto with we've got all sorts planned with 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 abby who's um your mentor professionally yeah, and she's fascinating is, yeah she's a she's a real kind of powerhouse of, yeah. a, of a woman um so yeah i'm sure that'll be a, a super interesting conversation but before we get to all that exciting stuff uh, it's time to do the news and we will be right back with that after this Welcome back. Um, you join us now at the news section where we just take five to ten minutes to just chat about anything interesting that we've, <laughs> we've come across in the online world over the last couple of weeks. Um, Megan, I see here that you have a YouGov commissioned report to yes. talk about. Hold sounds, on to your hats. Yeah, it sounds very formal, but no, I thought this was really interesting. So it was a report um, by YouGov that was commissioned by a tech agency called Rehab. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about how us as Brits feel regarding personalised ads, yeah. um, especially off the back of third-party cookies um, coming to an end as well. They won't be used anymore. So the finding of the report was that one in three Brits wants more personalised ads but 70% consider the collection of data to be immoral. So there's like a real conflict there in terms of what people want from their ads, um, which I thought was particularly interesting. Yeah, that is quite a, that is a problem waiting to happen, isn't yeah. it? Oh my God. Like that is going to cause brands and companies and agencies like ourselves, I'm sure a big headache in the yeah. future because you can't square the circle. Mm-mm without the data to offer the personalized ads yeah doesn't doesn't work so there's there's got to be a workaround where one one thing is kept and the other is lost i don't know yeah that's bananas to me i think the the main thing as well is sort of building that relationship with customers to collect Mm. that data it's building that trust essentially because the finding to me highlights that people aren't particularly very trusting when it comes to data collection and they're no. very skeptical of it. So I think it's, if you are going to be collecting that data, it's doing it in a way that is sort of open, transparent, isn't too invasive, um, just to build that trust, I think, amongst consumers. Yeah. And just like their businesses now are just going to have to work even harder. Mm-hmm. You know, GDPR was a thing in and of itself. You could write a book on it. Uh, and that was difficult enough. I think yeah. this is just making it even worse, going to make it even more difficult um, for businesses to collect data, keep data and use it in the right way. And I think probably from like, if I've got my consumer hat on, mm-hmm. I like that, but I do like more person. you know, I don't know if I do like more personalized ads actually. I know it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? I can't decide. Like oh, a- it depends what do we mean by personalized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, the definition of that is open mm. for debate, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then another statistic that came off that was 61% of people said they weren't comfortable with businesses knowing their online behaviour. Yeah, I don't know if... The cynic in me is like, what the general public shouldn't be surprised. Mm. Like, I do find, as having seen how, like, working in marketing and, and seeing to an extent how the sausage gets made, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, are you not surprised? Like, oh, how they they know what you like? Yeah, because yeah. you accept things and and people talk. People are scared about privacy. People don't. People want to be private, but they accept to not be private every single day, every yeah. time they go online. This is it. Exactly. And I don't think you can. You can't have two. You can't have both things. Um, so that's my kind of cynical view. Yeah. Which is like, duh. Of course you're <laughs> gonna. Of course stuff's gonna. They're gonna track you. They're gonna find you they're going to know what data you you're interested in all that sort of caper mm-hmm. but then i suppose my more sympathetic view is like brands just got to work harder really. yeah yeah um, it's finding that balance isn't it yeah i, I suppose um yeah. but yeah i think like you say by just the nature of the way that we communicate interact yeah. buy online nothing is private anymore <laughs> i think in in the digital age that we are now living in is it ever going to be no and i don't i think people would have a miserable time if it was yeah I genuinely don't think people realise the extent to which it's used in a positive sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's obviously bad actors and all that sort of all that sort of stuff, but yeah, I think the online world would be pretty miserable for people if 
they realize how much of their interactions form whatever it is that they're, yeah. they're viewing. Which brings me on to my, what I found, which is um, that brands, this back to sort of market, there's, there's no, there's a contradiction here because there's this difficulty that marketing brands have. But what I've got in front of me from Marketing Week says that brands are gearing up for growth and marketing budgets hitting an eight year high um, and relaxed COVID-19 like rule that basically mm-hmm. we it's done now uh, in inverted commas um <laughs> you know people are more confident in investment in yeah. marketing and there's got to be a point there's there's a there's a sort of apex isn't there where there's going to be all this issue with privacy yet yeah, all these budgets are getting yeah you know i think i read somewhere that there's it's set to be global marketing spend will be like 4.7 trillion dollars in three years yeah so yeah i read that I don't know how those two things can't live together. It's going to be fascinating to see how, how brands go about it, spending all this money, getting data that their customers don't want them to have, but also want to have more personalized experiences. I think that figure as well, like 4.7 trillion is ridiculous. And that's coming from people that live and breathe marketing. It's our jobs. We we get that it is everywhere, but for someone kind of like outside looking Mm. in, I don't think people actually really understand just how sort of all pervasive marketing actually is. Yeah, it's everywhere. And then that goes back to the whole data thing again and personalization, finding the data, using the data. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a a runaway train that's just going to keep going and going. I think in the report, the from the IPA, the Director General Paul Baines first said that companies in the UK are keen to capitalise on this moment and rank up their spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of, he talks about, which I agree with, is that companies that continue to invest in their market spend ride out any uncertainty or any kind of bumps in the road. And I think it's so, we've had first-hand experience of that where brands we've kind of maybe worked with in the past have balked or got scared, yeah. all for perfectly legitimate reasons. Um, but it's the those that the brands that, spend const- consistently and think of marketing and branding as a long-term exercise will win out in the end really it's, data yeah. or not it's understanding that investment isn't it as you say yeah. a lot of marketing strategies now it's got to be the long game yeah. there's very few that will get you quick wins obviously nah. there's certain channels you can use for that but if you're spending a lot of money you've got to understand that for that investment's payoff it's, it's a long game yeah it's an asset yeah it's not a it is a campaign but we maybe we as a as a, in an industry need to think need to explain to people that marketing is an asset in the way that your equipment might be in the way that your staff are like yeah. you know it's it's part of your business it's not just something that you dip in and out of. yeah um yeah no so all, all very interesting stuff and we'll leave links to uh, all those articles that we've just mentioned in the notes um when we come back we have got a great chat with abby brian spola we'll be right back Hello and welcome back. We're now joined by Abby. Abby, thank you for joining us. No problem. Welcome to the pod. Um, Abby worked at Elliptical as the customer success lead for EMEA, leading relationships with crypto enterprise businesses, financial institutions and regulators and building and managing the EMEA customer success team. She's got seven years of experience in the customer success industry and over the last three years has specialised in working and supporting customers within the crypto compliance space. Her expertise include advising companies on technology product utility, incorporating tech solutions in their standards and procedures and translating regulatory requirements to tech implementation. And, as if that wasn't enough, Abby also has a law LLB degree from Swansea University. How are you? Welcome <laughs> to Nevermind the Keywords. <laughs> not used to that introduction no, no, no. before I start speaking. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, but yeah, I know a little bit about your background. I know it's particularly interesting. You're quite well travelled and you've had some amazing experiences. So if you could just start by telling us a little bit about that um, mm-hmm. and especially your travelling as well, because that's really, really interesting. Yeah, of course. So I am... Um, went to university obviously in Swansea and I can remember my um my first lecture (laughs) somebody one of the lecturers saying you know 60% of the people in this room will not practice law and I remember sitting there smugly thinking (laughs) obviously I'm (laughs) going to um and after I finished university I had Um, accepted to go to do my legal practice course I was dead set and my mom actually said to me like you know don't rush to get on the treadmill Mm. of life like go and have some experiences and this will be there when you get back so I was like okay Okay. (laughs) Uh, and I actually remember feeling like very you know anxious about that decision Mm. and before it was made and then once I made the decision to go traveling I was like this is exactly what I meant to be doing um 
And about a month before I was due to go, the person that I was going with, unfortunately, dropped out, couldn't go. Um, and so I had got my teaching English as a foreign language mm. qualification, kind of as a backup, to be honest, yeah. if I ran out of money. Um, <laughs> and so I got a job um, as a teacher and I thought, I'll do this for a few months. Yeah. It's a great way to go traveling on my own with a support network, yeah. get to know people. Um, and three years later, <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I, I kind of returned from, yeah. from living in Thailand. Mm. So, um, I, for three years taught, um, children in Thailand, mm. how to speak English. Um, firstly teaching, um, 14 to 18 year olds in huge classes, classes of 50, wow. 17 classes a week, oh <laughs> no air conditioning. Oh my God. Um, and then the, the sort of last year that I lived there, I taught kindergarten. So yeah. really different in a private school. It was very more of what a teacher in our school yeah. looked yeah. like in, in a primary. Sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure. um, you know, so I taught English and maths and science and yeah. art and all that fun stuff with um three to four year olds so very different um and I actually met my husband there as well so it was uh for something that very nearly didn't happen a few times um yeah it kind of changed uh, my life the um, whole thing isn't it about like the butterfly effect yeah. 100%, like, yeah. you know that experience has completely shaped your life in terms of like your marriage yeah, yeah. You, you know the experiences that you've had and probably like the lessons that you've learned along mm. the way as well definitely and I think you know there's a lot of my, I have a 21-year-old brother and I say this a lot to him is that I think there's a big pressure on people that success is linear that yeah. like you go to university then you you get the career job. He says to me all the time, I just, I need my, my career. And I was like, you're 21, <laughs> go and learn life, you know? And I think it's that pressure to um, tick milestones. Whereas if I'd fallen into that and I actually had, you know, gone into law, I know that that's not what I'm passionate about people and where I am today, like this is definitely what, what I'm meant to be doing. Um, and it wouldn't have happened if I'd kind of like hung on to what I thought was expected of me. Yeah. So um, definitely changed my trajectory in the best way. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot and it actually led me to getting my first job in customer success mm. in tech. So uh, yeah, it all kind of happens for a reason. Well, shout out to your parents because that's amazing yeah. To, yeah, for them definitely. to have that foresight on your behalf almost because you're right we all we are quite pressured I think yeah to think of it as linear it's such a good yeah. way of putting it um but yeah shout out to them for for letting you telling you essentially yeah, go and do that and I think, live, I think yeah. more more people would benefit from more young professionals and people would benefit from that insight yeah. early on I think definitely yeah because I think we go to university so young mm. yeah. you know at 18 well you don't really make the decision at 18 at 16 yeah. you make um, the decision about what you want to specialize yeah. in and you know, you're so young yeah. to make that decision. Um, you know, my husband is American and he has um, seven siblings oh, wow. and they're all going through college. A large majority of them are in yeah. college. And in the US, it's a little bit different where, you know, you get to, to major and minor and you take classes from different subjects. Yeah. And, you know, in the UK, like we choose something and then we stick to it. And, you know, I just think that, especially now, the types of jobs that will exist in 20, 15, 20 years, like, they don't exist today. Yeah. So whatever you're doing in university, mm. you know, it it doesn't really, you know, unless you're going to like medicine yeah. or, yeah. but like generally they're not really preparing you for the, mm. the yeah. jobs that will come. No, I think it's more, I think I've learned in hindsight that university was more of a like a holistic thing where the degree exactly. was almost like 30% of the, yeah. of the whole experience. The yeah. other 30% was the social aspect of meeting new people becoming your own person yeah. in that sense. Yeah. And even and the it, skills that you learn in in the course that you do yeah. in, even mm. if you don't use that subject matter, the skills you are transfer, still transferable. I mean, I did journalism and like, it makes everything I've learned in journalism, I use in my role at yeah. Embryo and they're just transferable things. And Absolutely. I think it should, it should be considered far more as A, a, a holistic thing and B, you never stop learning. Really. No. Your education can carry on and on and on and on and on. And there should be more things in place, I think. Yeah. But that's a separate conversation <laughs> have about you know, constantly being able to teach and learn and educate yourself. Cause I think yeah. that's how you, I think that's how you win. Um, so you now work fast forward three years. You now work at Nota Bene as the first client success leader. Um, yes. do you want to touch on that? What's that like? What do you yeah. do? So, um, I joined Nota Bene only two months ago. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And yes. um, before that I worked at Elliptic and, yeah. um, so in a similar space in the crypto compliance space and 
previous to Elliptic, I was completely new to crypto. Mm. So that in itself was an incredibly steep learning curve. Um, and at Notabene, we um, offer software that helps crypto businesses comply with regulation, a very specific re regulation called the travel rule. Uh, not that sexy. I won't bore you with the ins <laughs> and outs of it. Um, but essentially, you know, with the idea of making crypto more accessible yeah. and also safer. Mm. You know, a lot of people say to me, crypto is not regulated. I'm like, you would be very surprised. It's actually highly regulated, yeah. but it's just, you know, a big part of what I do is education. Mm. So in my role at Nota Bene, I am, I was just saying to, to Megan before that I'm taking over actually our book of business this week. <laughs> um, and it will be to really support customers in taking the regulation and ensuring that they're able to meet those requirements um, and using our software, obviously. Mm -hmm. But then, as I said, it all is underpinned by this need for ongoing education. Yeah. Um, you know, I in my old role, when I was hiring um, CSMs, I'd always say that if you're looking for a role where um, there is a playbook of exactly what to do for every problem, mm -hmm. The yeah. crypto is not the space it's for you because there. we are solving problems that literally didn't exist yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my client's goals, you can, you know, have your client success meeting and say, okay, this is what mm. we're going to do for six months. And then a new piece of regulation comes yeah. out or a hack happens or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you have to be very dynamic and flexible. Mm. Yeah. So that I think that's going to be uh, a big like focus as I hire people into the team yeah. and, uh, for the work that I'll do in the next years. <laughs> Did that surprise you that you have to do so much educating? Because I'd think, and I'm a complete layman with this sort of stuff, but you'd think that a client, X client or Y client would have knowledge of crypto. Was the education side a bit of a like, oh, okay, that's new? Um, I think the way that I see it um, is that with the clients that I work with, they usually fall into one of three buckets. Mm they are either what we consider crypto native. So people that have like set up a crypto business are very well versed in like the technical yeah. elements of crypto. And then somebody's like tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, you really have to consider this compliance yeah. thing. So they don't really have a lot of knowledge on the compliance aspect. The second bucket is those people that maybe come from huge um, financial institutions who have been in compliance for 25 years know everything there is to mm. know about compliance but then somebody said hey you need to maybe consider this crypto thing if yeah. we're going to evolve as a business yeah. and so yeah. they don't know anything about the crypto element and then like, the unicorns are those that have been in both and right. you know crypto is very new so the number of people that have comprehensive experience in both crypto mm. and compliance is very limited so yeah. i'm sure we'll get more people like that yeah. but for right now we are really seen we have to be subject matter experts yeah. otherwise you know our clients aren't able to um properly adopt the software that we're using um and get involved in the space sure. and as you say it's a landscape as well that's changing all the time so it's yeah. keeping up with those changes isn't it mm -hmm. um but then aside from that the other challenge for you is obviously the first customer success yes. leader so what's that been like setting up that that new department that new team yeah um so it's the first time i've been the first um, and a lot of learnings yeah. um already so i think the biggest thing is that you spend the first few months not really doing customer success externally but actually teaching everybody internally mm. what customer success is Sorry. a lot of the people that i work with um maybe haven't worked actually did a I did um, a presentation a few weeks ago uh, with the wider company to to tell teach them about yeah. what customer success is and I did a poll at the start yeah. of who has worked <laughs> with customer success before um and I think maybe one or two wow. had and it's because it's a new concept yeah. you know yeah. it's if you've worked in the SaaS space yeah sure you definitely will have worked with yeah. customer success client success you know something maybe called differently yeah. but in that but if you haven't then it is a new concept yeah so it's i think the first few months is educating and advocating for what customer success is mm. internally before you can make any monumental changes because i think internally they have everybody has to be on the same page about the why yeah. why is the sales cs 100%. handover important yeah. why is renewal such a key element why am i doing this in order to get the buy-in so that's really been like the biggest like learning and um reminder for me mm. um, and the other thing is transitioning myself back to 
not having somebody else to like throw ideas around with, you know, yeah. like another CS per, I actually yeah. just reached out to my, um, an old colleague and was like, it'd be great just to have somebody to be yeah. like, what, you know, just to sense check. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely somebody who like likes to just talk things through mm. with somebody yeah. else. Um, so it's like finding a way to be a little bit more self-sufficient yeah. and get that support in from other people, from other departments. Um, so that's kind of like the, the big things. Yeah. I often think about why, because I'm like you, I talk through things yeah. and I have to uh, like, yeah, talk it through and I maybe rely too much on other people's mm. like thoughts and opinions. So yeah, I imagine that kind of first step into you're on your own yeah. was quite like, oh dear, daunting, yeah. but in, a, in an exciting in a, in yeah. a good, and that's exactly, I, I left for this reason. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, it's all also not having somebody when you have a new project or you see something needs to be done, mm. not having someone to say, yeah, go and do it. Yeah. But you you are now the person yeah. that decides, yes, go and do it. Absolutely. No, don't go yeah. and do it. Is this the right time? Yeah. So it's it's more of a transition in in that regards, but it's like incredibly exciting because yeah. there's so much like I every day I'm like, okay, this needs to be done. I, I literally have a list of things that need to be done. Maybe not today, yeah. maybe not tomorrow, but, but yeah. these are things yeah. that I want to do. Um and it's just, you know, being able to do that without, you know, I was very conscious of coming in like and like a bull in a china mm. shop and, and you know you you really have to ease yourself in especially to a business that hasn't had a, a client services or a customer success team before and bring them along on the journey yeah when me and megan were prepping for this um she told me that you, you use the phrase that stuck with her value over happiness is a mm. pillar of your role yeah and i really love that and i've been thinking about it for a couple of days do you want to expand on that because i think it's yeah. so insightful and interesting yeah, and it might be controversial, but there we are. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, Megan and I were having a conversation about, um, you know, the the, the pur purpose of customer mm. success. And it's actually really funny because in the presentation that I did to, the, to my company, mm. um, one of the other things I asked them was everybody, I want you, it was like one of those like mind map things yeah. that can be created. So everyone had to submit a word right. that they associated with customer success. Uh, and you can imagine the word <laughs> that came up was happiness. Yeah, yeah. And sort of my philosophy is that it's not my job to keep customers happy because happy is such a it, <clears throat> happiness to me is mm. different to you oh, yeah. and to you. Yeah. But rather my job is to ensure that they're getting value out of their yeah. investment, make sure that they have all of the tools necessary and happiness is a byproduct of that, mm. you know, but what makes the end user happy could be very different from what makes the decision maker happy. Yeah. And so I think, for me, it's about value driving, yeah. you know, from the very first time you talk with a customer, um, you know, I read something the other day, which is, which said that, um, onboarding as a, you know, a, a point in the customer journey, um, is a, not about making customers happy or showing them absolutely everything. It's about demonstrating value as quickly yeah. as possible. And I think as client service professionals, mm. we, if our goal is to make everybody happy, we become yes people. Yeah. Um, and that's dangerous in that it, it, it makes us ill-effective at challenging, growing, um, and supporting clients. Um, so yeah, you know, long way of saying it, but I just, I think in everything I do, I ask myself, what value mm. is this driving for the client? You know, and it might be value that they are not aware of or, you know, they might be doing something one way and you have to challenge them mm. on that and say, listen, you can get more value mm. if you do this. They might not be very happy about it at the time, but, but long-term, yeah. you know, that's the key element, I think. of It's it. that whole thing as well, isn't it, of being, as you say, a subject matter expert yeah. and using that expertise to exactly. drive that value, which then leads to the happiness, whatever yeah. you define that as, yeah. as, a, as a customer, definitely. Yeah. Do you think that value as a concept is less subjective? So you can you can demonstrate value a little bit more, but I'm yeah. sure there's still friction and, and things and gripes, but broadly speaking, yeah, the value of something is more black and white. Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it. And when I'm looking at like the health of a client, mm. you can demonstrate value in what I call like the hard metrics, you yeah. know, like is the account growing? Yeah. How many people are attending yeah. webinars? How, you know, are they in the platform? Are they, are they using the tool? But then there's also what I, kind of considers like the soft metrics yeah. like what's your relationship like yeah. with them are they advocating for you externally are they referring other businesses to you are they you know um attending your training sessions like it's 
I think the key point of having a customer success manager is that you capture all of those kind of soft mm, metrics yeah. that are incredibly important. Um, and all too often people just focus on like the hard metrics. Yeah. So I think value kind of has two faces. It is the hard metrics. It is the usage. It is the, you know, the growth numbers, mm. but it's also the the relationship driven value, which yeah. is, is much harder to demonstrate. Yeah. But much more valuable valuable yes definitely 100%. like you have to ask yourself the harder questions yeah. about the value of whatever it is you're delivering yeah but ultimately long term that's the best way to go about it and the most honest way as well no exactly yeah. and i think you know as a it's easy as well you know i talk a lot with with my old team we talked a lot about like should you have pre-set meetings with clients mm. with no agenda and i like I'm one of those people that I feel like every interaction I have with a client should add value. So yeah. every, e yeah, even down to the email, like what are they getting out of this? Am yeah. I doing this so I can tick a box and show my boss that I've engaged with this client? Or am I doing this so that they are like, wow, I really needed that information. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same with meetings. It's like, am I doing this for me? Mm. Or am I delivering value? And if, if you can't answer that clearly, mm. delete the meeting because yeah. <laughs> they are busy too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a good point. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about you is how organised you are. Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, and obviously there's been various projects throughout your career that you've had to manage. Yeah. Um, and that I think is something that people find quite daunting. Yeah. So on the subject of project management, what would you say to people, whether they're looking to do personal, professional projects in terms of managing that and executing it? Yeah, really good question. So for me, it's usually the hardest part of a project is starting, you know, and this is personal or professional, it's very easy to look at something huge and think, I don't know where to start, so I'm just not going to start yeah. today. Yeah. So like the first thing I do with any project, professional or personal, I just planned a wedding. So I did this, <laughs> I had a whiteboard in my kitchen with yeah. all the little tasks written down, um, but it's to break it down. Yeah. Um, break down each step and start with the first one. And I usually find that it's a bit of a snowball effect. Like once you've completed one of those yeah. small tasks, like they start to come together and it seems less daunting. You know, I'm guilty, same as everybody, of like looking at something and being like, okay, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. And it might be something that I could do in five minutes. Yeah. Guilty. You know? Yeah. So um, I, I try and break down the, um, the tasks and then I use my calendar as a lot. So yeah. I will schedule time, even for like sending an email to such a body. I'll put it in my calendar. Um, and I have lists on lists. We were just talking about my list, Megan. Like I have lists for my lists. In I have a notebook in my Can bag full of that. lists. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just keeping track of, 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 you know, where you're at, the progress, mm -hmm. and, you know, making sure that you can go back to it at any point and be like, oh, okay, I can pick mm -hmm. this up. It's like holding yourself accountable for it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, it is. I think my life would crumble if I didn't have the Siri voice note. Uh, oh, my husband's just saying. Honestly, I'm not in the, the office, office for just speaking to my phone <laughs> this and asking is what me my to remind like. myself in two weeks to yeah. uh, to send X or like do Y because otherwise I would not do it or forget about it. So yeah, I think it's those kind of little reminders about keep, that keeps yourself accountable. Yeah. Um, listening in your role is is obviously constant. What to you is the value of listening and, and what, what do you think about it and how important it is, not just in your role, but in professional life yeah. in general. Yeah. So I think, you know, we spoke a lot about me delivering education to my clients, but there's so many scenarios where I remind myself that I shouldn't be talking. So when I'm asking them about what their, val like, what their goals are or what success looks like, I think it's very easy. And I'm very guilty of this. And it's something that I've been working on um, is to fill space, you know, like, you know, you ask a question and then you fill the space and then there's not enough space for your client to really get mm. into what they're trying to say. So, you know, something for me is like being comfortable with uncomfortable silence, yeah. this, um, just allowing the, the room to breathe a little, even mm. a virtual room that if somebody doesn't respond straight away, it's not because they have nothing to say. It's because they're taking a minute to, to compose themselves. And so I think, for me, that was like a big learning quite early in my career. Somebody actually pulled me aside <laughs> after a meeting in a really nice way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the founders at a company I worked in, and he said, you know, the meeting was great, but some advice I'd give yeah. to you is just silences are okay. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, so that for me is like a key thing about listening is giving the space. Um, and then another thing is you just never know what information you're going to get. Mm. It's so valuable um, to 
open up a room and just stop talking yeah. <laughs> uh, in my role specifically where you know sometimes clients won't even know that they're giving me valuable information okay. you know they will just talk about yeah you know this isn't related to this your software but and they'll say you know talk more generally about the market and that might give me you know maybe we do a co-marketing piece about that or maybe I connect you with somebody else in the industry that can help you with yeah. that problem all of that adds value to them and yeah, they'll they'll go back and think oh Abby uh Abby help me with that mm. so I uh yeah I just think that it's often easy to as a customer success person to just talk at your clients rather than giving them the space to to open up yeah i think listening's just like completely undervalued and yeah. it's such a superpower it goes back to what you were saying about building those relationships yeah. essentially if you're listening you're getting that information that's only going to help yeah. you to build that relationship in the long term as well yeah and it's hard to do and it's it's part it goes back to that thing we were talking about of asking yourself the hard questions as a, someone in a customer facing role yeah. that's saying i should stop now and let this person like you say process take a beat then come back to it that's difficult to do and it's part of i imagine it's part of you you guys have fairly similar roles in different yeah. spaces mm -hmm. that's a really tough thing to do and it's a constant improvement i bet yeah i imagine and it's also you know when particularly in difficult conversations mm. our you know, people that do client-facing roles, we're problem solvers and we do want to mm. solve people's problems. That's inherently who we are. Yeah. So it's very easy if you're having a difficult conversation mm. to almost be going to problem-solving mode without listening. Yeah. Um, and it's actually something that, you know, my husband and I, um, we often will say like, do you need a solution or do you need me to just listen? And doing that in our personal life has actually been amazing because sometimes people just want to vent and need a tool to do that. And sometimes people do want solutions. So it's, it's you know, by listening and, and being open to that, it's understanding what somebody's trying to get out of a conversation with you without going into like problem solving mode. I absolutely love that. Yeah. yeah. I love that quest, that qualifier. Yeah. In personal relationships or work relationships, that's such a good question to ask. Do you need a solution or do you just need yeah. to vent? Yeah, because so many times we'd be like, I'd be like, and this happened and yeah, this happened. Yeah. And, then he'd, and he'd be like, well, why don't you try this? Yeah. And it almost, when someone does that and you don't need a solution, mm -hmm. it almost feels like they're discrediting yeah. Yeah. what you're saying or it's not as important as it is to you. Yeah. And the same goes for clients, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah, something's gone wrong yeah. and they just need to feel like they're heard yeah. and listened and appreciated. Their voice matters. Yeah. I love that. That's I'm, so true. I'm definitely going to be using that in, in <laughs> at home. And, and um, you're obviously a, a woman in in a in a fairly prominent role, setting up this new team. How do you? How was that first time experience? And what have you learned from it? You say you've only been there two months. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself, or as Abby the person, and as Abby in work? Yeah. I mean, this is something that like women in having a seat at the table is like something that I am incredibly passionate about. Mm -hmm. And it's been something that I think has really like defined my career. And I've been very lucky that I have been surrounded by strong, intelligent, well-spoken, empathetic women mm -hmm. throughout my career. And so I think that that's really paved the way for me to feel like I can have a voice. Mm -hmm. um, I think specifically in, in the industry that I'm in, you know, I was at an event last week um, in the crypto space and it is very male dominated. Um, I think at the event, it was probably 30, 70, which is a, an improvement to what mm. it was when I was at an, a crypto events two years ago. Um, and so I think my like biggest advice to other like women is to surround yourself with other women who are going through what you are going through. You know, being able to say like, you know, this made me feel uncomfortable is it okay if I raise it or like somebody said this and I'm not sure if, you know, it's, I, I don't know whether that's okay or not. Like, I feel like having a, a tribe <laughs> of other women um, in different industries, different roles, it doesn't matter, is is kind of like my key to, to having a voice and um, making sure that I have um, the ability to, to speak up and, um, you know, uh, have a voice when decisions are being made do not get me wrong. I am still very much struggling with imposter syndrome. I saw you guys put out a really good blog about imposter syndrome a few uh, weeks ago. And I think that that's something that, you know, 
doesn't go away, mm. especially at the t- in the type of spaces that I'm in. You know, I'll often go on a client call and I will be the only woman <laughs> on the call. Um, and it's just creating those spaces where um, yourself and others feel empowered and are given access to decision making. Um, so that I think that for me has been really key, but it's not easy. Um, and I think it's something that you know, especially in a, the tech industry, generally, we all kind of have to, it's not just about women, it's about having allies in men as well, who are willing yeah. to say when something's not right, or yeah. inappropriate, or, um, you know, that maybe, you know, it, it you know, sometimes it's not even the most obvious things, it's the, it's the things that seem fine, yeah. but yeah. like, actually, when you go away, you're like, oh, yeah. you know so I think it's just surrounding yourself with the right people the thing that I love as well is that you're my professional mentor I've gained so much just from like the few conversations that we've had so far but then also you're um you're a mentee as well and you've got a mentor mm-hmm. that's that's helping you and guiding you and I love that because it's kind of like people could look at you, you now and think wow like smashing it and you are smashing it but you want to keep developing and that's something that I think is is amazing yeah yeah, there's no, I, I don't think there's a finish line, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, there is no finish line. And also like what I can, I think it's very easy to always be focused on the next thing. Like yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I've made it when I get to this level, yeah. this point. Um, and I think the the longer that I go on in my career, that the more I realize that, you know, back to my point at the beginning, it's not linear. You know, there might be, you might go into different roles, different industries. You know, when I joined crypto, I actually took a step back. Yeah in terms of like seniority and yeah. um, at my previous role I'd managed a team of 16 globally and then I joined a company where I was a customer success manager again mm. didn't manage anybody but like now I see how valuable it is to just not always be like focusing on the end goal but yeah. being open to take little twists and turns yeah. and now I'm so glad that mm. I spent that time um learning for myself yeah. when I changed roles uh, this is this is a bit random on a tangent but I think it's like allegorical to what you were saying when Matt Damon won his Oscar for Goodwill Hunting at like 17 or whatever he remember, he said he remember he remembers getting home mm-hmm. and putting the Oscar on the kitchen table and saying to himself I'm so glad I didn't work I didn't want this yeah as badly as some of his peers wanted it and got to 70 and got to 80 and eventually won it and the feeling of winning it wasn't remotely what they thought it was yeah. going to be and I think it it ties into that perfectly like there's no end goal really there's contentness I think is probably the only end goal really that we should all be aiming for yeah um but yeah no I think it's super super interesting um and I think the mentor thing that you all have mentors is so interesting and such a (laughs) valuable thing because it all trickles down doesn't it it does yeah um let's touch on crypto a little bit because uh I know about as much I could write on the back of a fag packet (laughs) likewise so could you? I don't want to. I don't, don't want to go too into the weeds with it. But could you give us like a two sentence summary of crypto for for those listening at home who have heard it maybe in the news but couldn't really explain it to people down the pub? I'm not sure I could do it justice in just two seconds. <laughs> I'm but sure. what I'll say two is, yes. Yeah, what what I'll say is that I think the um, view of crypto up until this point has been, oh, it's just something that's used by criminals in dark rooms wearing hoodies to launder money (laughs) and that couldn't be further from the truth um crypto is um an industry generally and tools which allow more financial freedom Mm -hmm. um financial equity Mm -hmm. globally um and also is a way of improving the current financial system you know whether that be through speed of payment access to banking you know one thing that people often forget is, you know, the three of us can go and set up a bank account. We have an address that we can put on our bank um, application. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the developing world, that is not always the case. And so crypto offers access to the financial system, the global financial system, that otherwise those people would not have access Mm to. You know, where if you look at like countries that where there are, dictators who have control over the banking system you know crypto provides an instrument for these people to have access to money to send money across the world instantly Mm -hmm. for very low fees so i think that the view of crypto is evolving very quickly and also the thing that i kind of a misconception that i often get is um apart from the hood you know guy in a hoodie in his basement basement. um is that um 
it's just Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Um, and Bitcoin is, you know, was the first um, crypto asset. Um, but there are so many different um, crypto assets and use cases out there. And mm. each asset has a different use. So, yeah. you know, whether that is you're buying Bitcoin because as an investment or you are buying something like a stable coin, which is a, a coin that's like backed to a um, like the US dollar. Right. So it doesn't have the volatility as other oh, assets. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Um, there's different assets for different use cases. Um, and, you know, I just, it's just an incredibly exciting space to get into. Mm. Um, yeah. More than two sentences. No, no, <laughs> but no, you'll no. let me off. No, that's good. That's fine. Um, I think, I've been guilty of this. I think crypto of something that's over there. Yeah. Right. That's used by the aforementioned man in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's true. What? How is it going to become part of our everyday lives? Because like contactless payment, I think, is a perfect example. Yeah. Or I remember when that was like, wow. Yeah. And now you can pay with your watch or your phone or whatever. Is that going to happen to crypto, do you think? In the yeah. So the the um, the conference I was just in in Paris, um, I was saying to Megan, you know, when I first went to my first crypto event, it was in a basement of a church in London with some very <laughs> interesting people in there. And then at this event last week, you know, in that room was every major bank in the world, yeah. like pretty much in the world who are looking at how crypto can change the way that we interact with um, financial services. So, you know, it's, it's not just buying Bitcoin as an investment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could also be speeding up payments like remittances. So for example, if you have family in another country and you use something like um, Western Union yeah. to send money, Western Union charges huge extortionate fees usually to um people on very low incomes who yeah. are trying to send money home that's a use case for crypto where it can be sent cross-border very quickly very cheaply and it can be accessed by the unbanked by people who maybe haven't had access to um uh, you know the, the regular financial um system another thing it could be used for obviously as a um, investment mechanism as um a way to uh, store funds wealth um you know the, with crypto genuinely it, it it's very it's limitless what could be done and you know it's not just the assets themselves it's the technology that it um sits upon where everything in crypto sits on a blockchain and all of the information in a blockchain is immutable it can't be changed yeah. It's completely visible to everybody. Mm. You know, if you think about what goes on in banks and how much yeah. visibility yeah. we have over that, in crypto that doesn't exist mm. because we have, you're able to see everything on a public mm -hmm. blockchain. Yeah. So, you know, crypto is actually great for law enforcement mm. who can see where yeah. funds of a hack have gone yeah. um, who can see where individuals are sending money to terrorist organizations. So, you know, there's so much possibility mm. um, and... I think there is definitely a barrier to entry yeah. for new people yeah. to the crypto space. You feel like, I'm, I'm not technical. Mm. Um, but actually, there's a huge amount of investment in the space to bring new people into um, the crypto industry um, and educate them. There's a lot of resources out there on um, different you know, crypto websites. I maybe can share some after you can put with the podcast if anyone's interested. Um, but there's just a huge you know, the industry as a whole recognizes that in order for crypto to go mainstream, we have to bring everybody else along mm. on the yeah. journey. Yeah. So obviously you're saying there about access to crypto, that's going to be super important yeah. in terms of rolling it out and it becoming the mainstream. Do you want to just sort of touch a little bit more on that in terms of how you see it going in the future? Yeah, of course. So, you know, I think a big focus, obviously for, for me and my company at the moment is supporting crypto businesses and financial institutions with adhering to regulation i think that's like going to be a huge focus for this industry for the crypto industry in and it's necessary because um it just ensures that we are making it as safe as possible yeah. we're protecting the people that maybe don't know a lot about it that there is some consumer protections in place and that the right people are um sharing information that they need to share in order to ensure that you know they are safe mm. so in order for it to become mainstream we have to um put in place mechanisms to protect people and ensure that there is some record of who is sending money where yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that's a big like focus uh, generally across the industry and you know regulation once again not super sexy but just quickly <laughs> yeah. it, it develops at different points right. um, globally yeah. you know different you know, the U.S. is has always been, you know, quite forward in terms of have, getting regulation out there for crypto, but there's still work to do. APAC, like it all moves at different paces. Yeah. So, so you know, definitely as an industry, making sure that the regulation is applied in a way that's proportionate and so that it's not harboring sort of the stopping the growth of crypto businesses who struggle to adhere to those um, those regulations. And then also is the education side. Yeah. And when we think about education, I think it's easy to just assume it's education of like you and I, yeah. the end user, but it's also education of governments, yes. yeah. of law enforcement, of regulators themselves. The people who are actually making rules and laws around this, also many are very new to crypto yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's changing. Um, I have an ex-colleague called Tara who is my like crypto go-to, like I've never met anybody who knows so much about crypto. <laughs> She's amazing. Um and even, you know, I had a conversation with her, like, I just feel like I, I don't know enough about anything. And she was like, yeah, I don't know about this. And I was like, wow, yeah. if she doesn't yeah, know about yeah, this, you know, I think it was, she was talking about NFTs. She's yeah. like, I don't feel like I know enough about that. And I was like, you know, there's all, there's a lot of pressure to feel like you know yeah, everything, definitely. but anybody that says they're an expert at crypto doesn't really yeah. <laughs> understand crypto yeah. because it's just, you know, it's very um, difficult to, to keep up with everything, but you just kind of have to start small yeah um and then and then lastly is the you know you mentioned there about the the access to crypto globally um you know we're seeing it uh in the i know there was a lot of fear with the russia and ukraine and mm. um, situation that russia would be able to use crypto to evade sanctions and actually i mean crypto doesn't have the the market cap that they would need in order to do that but you know from the ukrainian perspective ukraine has been able to raise a huge amount of funds um using crypto and being able to to get that access to the people that need it um and so crypto just you know provides this mechanism where you um are able to get funds to people that that need it most and it's just you know Everything's underpinned by the education element. Yeah, I think it's a strong argument for it because I know that I've listened to podcasts where there's arguments for and against it all as a concept, and that's a, that's another mm. podcast for another day. But it's a strong argument for it that sort of leveling up of global financial institutions and giving yeah. people access that wouldn't have had access five, ten years ago. And it's also, you know, there's definitely a club of people who benefit mm. globally from the current financial um, system. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also part of like women in crypto groups with yeah. whose sole aim is to say, you know what? No, yeah. we're not. No, this, we have just as much right to have yeah. a part and to get and gain wealth and build our yeah. wealth. Um, you know, there's, we have just as much right to do Absolutely. that as anybody else. And yeah. the, the traditional financial system, you know, have developed in a way where it does benefit certain categories yeah. of individuals yeah. globally. And crypto kind of offers a, a new way of, of leveling the playing mm -hmm. field it's just making sure that we we you know educate those people yeah. and bring them on that that journey yeah. with us absolutely yeah it's fascinating stuff i think it's just an ever-evolving thing isn't it yeah um before we let you go yeah we uh, it's time for the quick fire round <laughs> okay i'll get ready uh, I, I put so much emphasis on that then it sounded way more scary <laughs> the, the lights aren't yeah. gonna go dim or anything uh so megan is gonna run through 10 questions that we ask everyone okay yeah uh, we want your first answer okay. no conferring yes. uh and then we will wish you well and see what amazing okay first question now this is the all-important one favorite chocolate bar whisper gold oh yeah the great yeah that. yeah that might be my favorite one so <laughs> um your biggest inspiration um my mom and dad my family um and professionally my like idol Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh yeah, yeah. RBG. I don't As know whether you noticed on my bag, yeah. on my bag, but I have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg pin, and she's just everything I aspire to be yeah. in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say is your best habit? I think we talked about. I'm very organised, yes. but that yeah. can be a double-edged sword. So <laughs> organisation, but that can you know yeah. be a bit of a stinger as well. <laughs> and your worst habit? Overthinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> What would you change about yourself? Oh, good question. Um, being less of a people pleaser, which is hard in a customer success mm. role, but really necessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's for sure. 
Describe your life so far in three words. Um, oh, uh, travel, learning, and laughter. Nice. Yeah. What's something new that's happening in your life right now? Uh, personally, I'm trying to book a honeymoon. <laughs> um, and, you know, a big thing is, um, you know, looking to buy a house and building a customer success team. <laughs> They're like the three main things. And what would you say was your best subject at school? History. Nice. What does success look like to you? I think getting to a point in my life where I am focusing on passion projects, whether that be in the customer success space, whether that be in crypto, but just really waking up every day excited about what I'm about to do. You know, it's always been a big like fear of mine to work because I have to work. I want to like work like live to work not work to live yeah. I want to really enjoy what I do and I'm lucky that I've you know I'm in a space where that's possible but like the end goal is uh yeah to to just cover myself in passion projects Love that. <laughs> really like that. Yes. and finally what are your three favorite books so we already I think I already sent Megan this list but um <laughs> a really great customer success book is um farm don't hunt so it's the concept of the difference really between CS and sales and how you can um, really focus your learning on the type of skills required to develop long-term relationships with customers that renew again and again. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I love that book. Um, personally, outside of work, I'm really bad at reading too many non-fictions but um when I get a chance to read a fiction um The Alchemist is my absolute favorite book in the world so many uh every time I read it I get a different life lesson from it That's so nice. um and then uh the last one I'm trying to think I have so many I'm an avid reader so this is like really <laughs> hard for me uh, uh oh um onboarding matters another customer success book I think I sent this one to you yeah. as well um which yeah it's just incredibly insightful I think I quote it every time I talk to someone about customer success about the importance of those first 90 days of a customer's journey yeah okay, okay. amazing Abby thank you so much for thank coming you so on much. Mind the thank you. Um, thank you yeah, yeah. amazing thanks very much <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you, Abby, for joining us for that chat. I found that really interesting. She is a phenomenal person. Yeah, isn't she? obviously, I know Abby anyway um, as my mentor, yeah. but she's yeah, she's super super interesting. Yeah. Always got so much wisdom to share, which is amazing. Yeah, her whole energy is just amazing, and I think she does an amazing job at explaining what is quite a complex, distant industry to people like myself. Yeah, in a way that makes it feel relatable. I, I found the, the human argument for crypto and those kind of things really really important. Mm -hmm. Her thoughts on women at the top table. Yeah. She's extremely vocal about it, and rightly so. It's a it's a really fascinating conversation. I hope uh, you guys at home enjoyed it as much as we did chatting to to Abby. Um, yeah, so that's it for another episode of Nevermind the Keywords. It's flown by. Um, <laughs> if you enjoyed the pod, please like and subscribe uh, on wherever you get your pods, um, and leave us a five star review if you could. It helps. Uh, it helps spread. Uh, the never mind the keywords message and tell any of your mates good old-fashioned word of mouth yep. can't hurt either <laughs> best um, marketing strategy absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh join us next time we'll have another uh, amazing guest uh, some more chat and um yeah we will see you on the next episode of never mind the keywords